0: Hi there, this is Kent Roundy. I'm at the Utah State Medical Student Podcast Series location, nestled deep in the heart of Utah State Hospital in the Rampton Building on the Northeast Unit in Provo, Utah County.
1: Got a new guest here with me today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm, my name is Brady Hansen. I'm a fourth year medical student, and um, this is my, my first podcast, so I'm super excited to be on here with Dr. Roundy and excited about our topic that we're gonna discuss today. Good to have you here. So Brady, tell us what you're going into. Uh, The plan is to go into family medicine. I really wanna be able to see all ages, spend time in the hospital, and um, be a primary care provider.
0: I like it. We've we've gotta have great primary care providers who are providing psychiatry services for our patients. It, it seems that psychiatrists don't have enough reach to take care of all the people out there that struggle with anxiety, depression, and suicide, which brings us to today's topic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree. Th- this uh, topic was great um, for me because it helped open my eyes a little bit on, on suicide, specifically in depression, and how in primary care, oftentimes the resources aren't there or limited or the primary care provider themselves aren't trained well enough to be able to handle some of the patients that they come across. So uh, I was really excited to dive into this and um, look forward to discussing it.
0: Let's break it into two parts today. So the first part, we will focus on having a discussion about things that are more likely to be on the shelf exam. So we'll talk about risk factors for suicide, we'll talk about trends of suicide, we'll talk about uh, how you would intervene if you identified somebody that had suicidal ideation and then for, for part two of this Let's go ahead and talk about screening which gets into the weeds a little bit more and I think has some really interesting aspects to it I, okay. I like the articles you sent me.
1: I agree. Yeah,
0: so let's start with uh, Risk factors for suicide. Okay.
1: Yeah, so so when looking at suicide So, so Brady I'm actually oh. going inter-
0: to interrupt you a little bit before you do that One of the articles that you sent me that I think describes the risk factors best was the article that talked about the NVDRS, which is looking at my paper here, the National Violent Death Reporting System. Tell us a little bit about that and what they identified. So that was the article that uh, has about 18 states that Mm -hmm. are involved in it. They identified how people kill themselves, um, Absolutely. And and I think what they did is they gave us the best description of the risk factors. So tell us a little bit about that study if you can. Sure. And then the data that came out of that. So let's have you yeah. do, do it that way if you would.
1: Okay. Just to give just a little bit of background on, on suicide. So it is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., um, second amongst adolescents just behind um non-intentional trauma, so car accidents, things like that, and is much more common among males, actually 3.5 times uh, more common than females. And just actually in 2017, there were a little over 47,000 deaths by suicide here in the United States and 800,000 deaths worldwide, which is pretty significant. Um, I thought it was also interesting that there was 1.4 million attempts alone in 2017, which makes me kind of wonder, if those were the attempts, how many, how many of these um, individuals are having some type of suicidal ideation? Um, so like Dr. Roundy was saying, this, this study went in talking about the various risk factors, and so a lot of the people that have attempted suicide or completed suicide have some type, or the majority have some type of behavioral or mental illness component to it, Um, The most common being uh, depression, Uh, others seeing are bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety, some substance abuse, and um, prior suicide attempt was also mentioned in there that has a very high risk of having another attempt or completion of death over the next 24 months. Um, So just a couple other risk factors when it came to non-mental health related factors. Uh, people with relationship problems, some type of crisis, such as like a a family death, uh, physical health condition, or job and financial problems. Um, A lot of these are referring more to the older population. Um, So um, with the younger population and children and adolescents, I think um, not mentioned in there that I've kind of read in other places are going to be social media aspects, bullying, school problems, things like that. Yeah. I was impressed that
0: some of the things they identified were things that we kind of know about but we wouldn't think about. So if you think back to high school, I had two people that I was fairly close to in high school that suicided within a few years of me graduating. Um, and and as I, as I thought about these risk factors that were described in the article um, that you and I are talking about. Um, it made a lot of sense. So peer difficulties—this is somebody that had difficulty get along, getting along with other people. He, he had uh, problematic relationships, he had low self-esteem, um, and I, I don't know about exposure to suicidal behavior, um, but undoubtedly he had academic difficulties. So, so I start thinking back at the people that I know that suicided, and, and it's like they stick out kind of, right? You, you see all of these things and then you start thinking about, well, maybe bullying is the the last factor in somebody who's already struggling. They stand out in ways that nobody wants to stand out. And it's easy to think about it. in my mind, that one example that captures these risk factors. Mm-hmm. You, you're kind of looking like you're ruminating about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I just I guess my thought was, you know, looking back, I wasn't trained or didn't have the knowledge to, to look out for these risk factors at that age. Whereas now, um, you know, having a little bit of training, I can, I can look back and say, wow, that, that was a risk factor and that was a risk factor. And I definitely saw that in that person. Um, and, you know, it's, it's nice to be reading some of these articles and the plans that people are putting forth with a big focus on training. Um, both the staff in schools as well as the kids to be able to recognize uh, some of these risks so they can intervene at an earlier age, unlike I kind of felt like I could have um, being in high school. Yeah,
0: I think we all probably think about what we wish we knew yeah. back then, right? So so I don't want to take a lot more time on on this podcast. I think a 10-minute podcast that tackles risk factors for suicide and this is largely adolescence, the, the work that you did, even though you talked about adults a little bit. Correct. Largely yeah. largely adolescents. Um, let's suppose somebody walks into the emergency room, um, a young adult, 19-year-old, 20-year-old. Uh, the zero suicide model, this is promulgated by the U.S. National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention, right? They say mm-hmm. this is, there's good data for this. Six steps. Do you have those six steps listed, or do you want me to go through those?
1: I don't have those listed, so if you can, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, so, so somebody walks in suicidal. There's not intent to suicide, but they're struggling with that with that uh, intermittent thoughts of suicide or, or consideration of intent, maybe. Um, now, I'm going to back up and say not consideration of intent. There's kind of a defining line that you may need to be aware of for the shelf exam, or the board exam, not the shelf exam. No, sorry, the shelf exam, not the board exam. And that is the difference between suicidal ideation with a plan and an intent to act on that and all of the gradations up to that. Do you have any comments on that before we go into the, the treatment for this?
1: Uh, I would just say for preparing for the shelf exam and board exams, which I took uh, about six to six months to 12 months ago, um, a lot of it talked about um, if someone came in with with uh, say depression, um, no suicidal ideation or no plan to act um, on if they did have ideation. Um, those individuals could just be treated outpatient with some you know cognitive behavioral therapy or with some um, antidepressants, SSRIs, things like that. If they came in with some type of suicidal ideation, they, would put in place some type of physician safety contract. So making talking to the patient and making sure that they have you know, uh, an agreement that they will not harm themselves. And if they do, there are things in place, safety things in place, um, to prevent that from happening with a quick follow-up schedule. And then lastly, if they did have intent with a plan, then that um, patient um, would be admitted to the hospital for further uh, evaluation and workup.
0: And of course, these are we're talking about the ideals, and we're talking about this in terms of education. We would not want anybody to who is not a professional already to make decisions based on this podcast. This is um, training and development of that understanding, not not definitive. And I think our information about how we address suicide changes and is is very individual for the setting. So, so just a, a quick disclaimer uh, on this. I want to add a little bit more detail. So I think the this, this zero suicide model has a pretty good plan for how you would tackle um, helping somebody who walks into the hospital, says, I'm having problems with suicidal ideation, I need some help, I don't want to act on this. And the plan is six steps. First is you help the patient understand how they can identify warning signs and respond to those warning signs appropriately through development of coping skills. There's also identification of ways to distract when the suicidal thinking is growing. For example, people that you can talk to, uh, activities you can participate in, and so forth. The next step is calling people to help. Who is on your short list? If if you have half a dozen numbers programmed in your phone that are starred, my Android phone has stars so that I don't have to look very far for them. You just find that starred person that you call when you're in trouble, and they're generally willing to be helpful and available. And then step number five is professionals that are available. And full, uh, finally, um, means safety, which I understand to mean if you have suicidal ideation, get rid of the guns in the house and the other things that might be unsafe. Correct.
1: Yeah, making sure that the medicine cabinets are locked. If If, say, you're a parent with a child who may be at risk uh, making sure guns are removed from the home or at least locked in a safe with uh, no means for them to get in.
0: Yeah. All right, so a couple more things here. Um, Quick summary. In at least adolescence, let me see if I've, I've got this reasonably done, at least in adolescence the people that are most likely to have a suicide attempt are people who have mental health risk factors, peer difficulties, parental relationship problems, low self-esteem, recent exposure to suicidal behavior, and academic difficulties. Correct. Is that a reasonable summary? Yeah. Okay. Interestingly enough, and we're going to tackle this in a moment. The vast majority of people that commit suicide have seen a physician recently. Yeah. Yeah. So, how's that for a teaser for uh, part B of this discussion?
1: It's great. I think it transitions right into um, some of the techniques that are trying to be implemented to better help detect those that are going undetected and oh, helping
0: good. them. All right. So, we appreciate you joining us. Hopefully, you found some information that will help you prepare for the board exam. Hopefully, the Uh, 13 to 14 minutes that you spend on this, if you play it at normal speed, are well worth it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.